0: Today on the Matt Wall Show, yet another police shooting sparks outrage and protest. This time, a 13-year-old boy is killed. As always, everyone is blaming the police. But I think we should move the conversation from policing to parenting. That's the real source of the trouble and the thing that nobody seems to want to talk about. Also, five headlines, including the Democrats begin their push for reparations while a bunch of white celebrities come out in support of the idea. And the media baselessly smears Ron DeSantis in the most vile way imaginable. Finally, in our Daily Cancellation, we'll discuss the scientist's we have now begun creating half-monkey, half-human hybrid embryos. What could possibly go wrong? Or better yet, what could possibly go right with a plan like that? All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. So with riots already happening in multiple cities and outrage still exploding over the police killing of Dante Wright and the country on edge leading up to the verdict in the Derek Chauvin trial, Chicago decided that now, this week, of all times, would be a good time to release the body cam footage of the officer-involved shooting of a 13-year-old suspect. You might might almost begin to think that people in positions of power in this country want the riots. In fact, if you're only beginning to think that now, then you're rather slow in the uptake, I would say. The incident happened on March 29th of this year, a little more than two weeks ago. Officers were called to the scene in downtown Chicago at 2.30 a.m. because someone or some group of people were shooting guns in the middle of the city. Police sensors picked up nine shots, then 911 calls started coming in. One caller reported six or seven shots, another also reported multiple shots. When officers arrived at the area, they immediately began chasing two suspects. The first, a 21-year-old man named Ruben Roman, they were able to quickly catch and subdue. The second suspect was someone that we now know as 13-year-old Adam Toledo. But of course, the police didn't know who he was or his age. All they knew that was that people were shooting guns and uh, now here is someone running away. Body cam footage shows police chasing Toledo down an alley where he stops, turns, puts his hands up and is shot. Officers render aid immediately, but he dies at the scene. This at least is the version of the story that the media and the activists want us to take to heart. In fact, CBS released a cropped version of the footage so that this version is all you see exactly as I just described it. In truth, if you literally widen the frame, you discover that Toledo was holding a gun, a gun that he or the 21-year-old suspect, or both of them, uh, were just moments earlier firing at something or someone. Toledo initially flees while holding the gun. Then as officers scream at him to stop and put his hands up, he halts, turns, gun still in his hand, and subtly tosses the gun behind a fence with his right hand obscured. By the time the officer fires a single shot that kills him, Toledo's hands were empty. But there was literally a fraction of a second in between Toledo holding the gun and the officer firing the shot. From the time that you first see the gun on the body cam footage to the point where the officer fires the shot, eight-tenths of a second elapse. That's it. Toledo did try to surrender, but it was too late. And he purposefully ditched the gun in a way so that the cops wouldn't see him ditching it. From the cop's perspective, this is a suspect just involved in some kind of shooting, holding a gun, who is now turning and raising his hands. Now, that officer has less than a second, less than a second to make a decision. Is he raising his hands to put his hands up? Or is he raising his hand because he's drawing up and he's about to fire? If the officer guesses wrong, he's dead. It is as high as the stakes can get. And he had eight-tenths of a second is to decide which way he would go. Now, I don't know about you. I've never confronted an armed person in a back alley. I've never had that experience. Um, I've never confronted any armed person at all, especially not in the dark at 2.30 a.m. I've never had to make a life-or-death decision in eight-tenths of a second. Now, cops, of course, are trained for this. That's true, but they're also human. They aren't superheroes. This isn't a movie. They are tossed into messy, horrible, real-world situations, and they have to make the best judgment call they can in the moment. That's why, so often, the more productive question we could be asking is not, could the cops have handled the horrible situation better, but rather, why was the horrible situation happening to begin with? What could have been done to avoid that situation entirely? See, to me, that's the question. In this case, rather than blaming the cop who had eight-tenths of a second to decide whether he wanted to ever see his family again, perhaps we should should ask why a 13-year-old boy was out on the street with a loaded gun at 2.30 a.m. This child had clearly, at some point in the past, gone down a dark path, uh, a path both metaphorically and literally. A path that has led many young boys and young men, like Adam Toledo, to the morgue. Eventually, usually not at the hands of the police, but at the hands of other boys and young men in the community. Most of the time, we know that if that if that if Adam Toledo had survived that encounter with the cops, and then been shot and killed a week later by some local gang banger, um, as as happens you know hundreds of times a year across the the country, the media wouldn't be reporting it. Protesters wouldn't be taking to the streets over it, and his name would not be known. You know, the left only cares about the Adam Toledo's of the world when they die by cop. That's the only time. If they die literally any other way, any other way, the people pretending to care about him now would shrug their shoulders and go about their day. So the question again is, it's it's not why did the cop make the wrong decision in eight-tenths of a second while confronting an unknown perp with a loaded gun in a dark alley in the middle of the night? The question is, why did this encounter ever happen at all? Why was that cop put in that position? Elizabeth Toledo, Adam's mother, has spoken out since the death. She says that that her child was a goofy, fun kid with a big imagination. He likes SpongeBob SquarePants and Taco Bell and candy. She says that he wanted to be a police officer when he grows up. Now that all might be true. But we also know, according to reporting from journalist Andy Know, that Adam was known in gang circles as Lil Homicide and Baby Diablo. CBS reports that he went missing two days before the shooting, disappeared out into the street somewhere, and his mother didn't report it. He also had gone missing a few days before that. In that case, it was reported. But then he returned, and his mom never told the police that he came home. Then he left again, and she never told them that he was gone. Perhaps not surprisingly, so far we haven't heard anything one way or another about the boy's father or from the boy's father, as far as I know. Now, if you would look at the totality of the circumstances here and come away with the conclusion that the police are the problem, then you're not a serious person or an honest one. You're a fraud and a coward. You're afraid to deal with reality afraid to tell the truth. You know, though you will not say it out loud, that what caused Adam Toledo's death was not bad policing, but catastrophically bad parenting. The tragedy that led to the final tragedy was parental neglect. Now, as parents, we can't exercise total control over our kids, okay? They'll make their own choices. Sometimes they're gonna make bad ones, sometimes very bad ones. But if your boy is only 13, and already he's running around the city at 2.30 a.m. with a loaded gun and his gang friends, one of whom is 21 years old, and they all call him Lil Homicide. Something has gone very, very wrong in your home. Our cities are full of boys and young men whose home lives have gone very, very wrong. To put it mildly, 7% li- seven percent are live 70% are living in homes without fathers. And that's just the beginning of it. Many of these kids are given no moral formation, no instruction, no guidance. They have no one setting an example for them. No role models, no one to look up to, no one to show them the way. Nobody. Like millions of kids in this situation have nobody looking out for them. Police are the cleanup crew called in to deal with the mess. They're not the ones causing the mess. What's causing the mess is the collapse and abandonment of the nuclear family. And that's happening everywhere in society. And it's bad everywhere. And you see the fruits of that everywhere. But in the cities, it has reached apocalyptic levels. In in the cities, the nuclear family basically doesn't exist anymore. If you want to know what a post-nuclear family world looks like, look at the inner cities. That's what it looks like. Adam Toledo's death. That's what it looks like. You know, I look at my own son, my oldest, he's almost eight. uh, And I think to myself, could could he become a gangbanger running around the city with a gun by 13 in, in just seven years? Could he go from where he is right now to that in seven years? Now, the answer for us is no. Me and my wife wouldn't ever allow that. But theoretically, would it be possible to turn my innocent, sweet little boy into a hardened criminal by the time he reaches middle school? Theoretically, sure. I mean, the first thing I'd have to do, it's very easy for me, actually, all, all that I would have to do is leave. Um, that might be all it takes. If I personally, as his father, checked out of his life, either physically or mentally or both, that might be enough. But if it isn't, then the next step is to deprive him of all other forms of moral guidance um, to ensure that all of his role models, especially his male role models, are bad influences Take me out of the picture and replace me with the internet, pop culture, rappers, movies. Next, my wife would have to allow him to get mixed in with a bad crowd, spend all day, next thing you know, all night with these kinds of people. That's his new family. That's where he takes his social cues. That's how he learns to be a man. Let him stew in that environment, an environment of confusion and abandonment and neglect for a couple of years. And uh, just like that, my boy could be the one in that body cam footage. Anyone's boy could be. What does that mean? It means that our children can't raise themselves. If the Lord of the Flies has taught us anything, it's that. Our children need us. They need parents, adults, to mold them. Boys especially need men, fathers, to guide them, help them harness their masculine energy in productive and edifying ways. You know, boys are risk-takers. Boys are aggressive. That's natural. That's good. It has to be harnessed. I can see that in my, in my sons. They want to take risks. They want to be aggressive. That's why the father steps in and says, okay, you want to take risks. Here are some healthy, controlled risks you can take. Let's go climb a tree. I'll be standing right there. You know, you, you, you have a lot of aggression. Let's, let's wrestle around on the floor. Let's, uh, let's play football, let's, you know, let's go run around outside. That's what, that's, what, that's what boys need fathers for. It would seem that Adam Toledo didn't have that. And that's what signed his death warrant. The cop will live with the guilt, but he's not the one. Okay, he's not the one who put that boy in that alley with that gun. Now let's get to our five headlines. You know, as conservatives, we say we love the Constitution, but very few of us, I think, have actually studied it, and probably fewer stand ready to defend it, and that's where my friends over at constitutioncoach.com come in. It's where they got a lot of great programs for equipping citizens to defend liberty by studying and living out the Constitution. Uh, And that's why I was so grateful to go and experience their constitutional defense course, and it's why I encourage you to do the same. You get an amazing combination of intellectual ammunition and live classes with Rick Green, America's constitution coach. Then you also get the physical training at the premier firearms training facility in the nation. You get this all in the same course. You get to join hundreds of others, uh, other patriots from across the nation for fellowship, training, um, and learning. And it's a, a lot of fun, And you, but you come away with a very valuable skill. In fact, whether you've shotguns your whole life or, you've, uh, or or you've never even touched one, wherever you fall in that spectrum, uh, I'm telling you, these people, they took me to an entirely new skill level. They could do the same for you, but you got to go to constitutioncoach.com. Rick and the Constitution Coach team have another class on April 25th, but you're, you're coming up on your last chance to sign up. So sign up now. Go to constitutioncoach.com. Again, constitutioncoach.com. Uh, you know, one other note about this. I, I, I just saw Moms Demand Action, the uh, gun control nutcases. They, they tweeted Um, About this case, they said, uh, update video released today shows that Adam Toledo, a 13 year old boy, a 13 year old Latinx boy who was fatally shot by police in Little Village, Illinois, on March 29th, had his hands up when he was shot and shows no indication that Toledo was holding a gun. Now, that's not true. As we just discussed, as we just discussed, the body cam footage clearly shows that he did have a gun um, and only eight tenths of a second elapsed between when he had the gun and when the cop pulled the trigger. But I, I, I'm really looking at Latink's boy. Like, are you, are you really doing that at a time like this? This boy has died. Can, can, can we take a break from that? Can we take a break from that BS for a day? Like, can, can the LGBT agenda take the day off? You, you folks have had, you know, you've been pretty active. Take a day off. We don't need the Latinx thing. You don't need to try to inject that into this. I, 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 it's it's incredibly disrespectful because the Latino community, they don't use that word. Latino people do not use that word. That is a white LGBT liberal word that you are imposing on them and you're doing it now. Um, you're using the opportunity of a boy's death to do that. It doesn't even make sense because... Latinx is supposed to be gender neutral. You're talking about a boy, a gender neutral boy, Latinx boy. He's a boy, Latino. They have, there's a word for that. They have that word in their community and uh, you should use the word out of respect. And also because it's a real word. It doesn't, we don't need to change it. You know, the irony is that so often we hear this, uh, th- these claims of appropriation. We hear about uh, white, white people colonizing foreign cultures and imposing their values and ideas on those cultures. And nine times out of 10, that, those claims end up being bogus. Here's a real example of it. Here's an actual real example of white people, white Westerners colonizing a foreign culture and imposing their own values and ideas on it with this Latinx thing. Except that the colonizers in this case, and it it turns out in most cases, are um, left-wing liberals. And so they get a pass. All right. Number one, this is from the LA Times. It says, a House committee late Wednesday advanced legislation first introduced in 1989 that would study the issue of awarding reparations to the descendants of American slaves. Um, The House Judiciary Committee voted along party lines to send a bill to the House floor for the first time to create a commission to study the legacy of American slavery, of racist laws, and how they affected formerly enslaved people and their descendants. The bill instructs the 13-person committee to uh, consider a national apology apology, and to recommend any appropriate remedies to Congress um, for slavery. So this is a bill... This is a, a committee talking about a bill to study. To, you know, there, there, there are a lot of steps still to go through. And um, this goes back to 1989. So this idea has been out there for a long time. Up until a couple of years ago, I would have said, uh, this is political posturing. It's not really going to happen. But I think we're at a point now where this will happen. Uh, I'll make that prediction right now. I think reparate, some kind of reparation policy will be passed. Uh, it is with the the Democrats having total control of the government right now and white guilt being at its absolute peak. Um, yeah, I think it will happen. It's not going to be to the the to the full extent that left- wing activists hope for, but it'll be something. Let's look at a few clips here of um, lawmakers debating this. First, here is Democrat Hakeem Jeffries arguing for reparations, let's hear what his case is.
1: We're not gonna move on because after slavery, Jim Crow, and the rise of the KKK, and the lynching epidemic, and Plessy versus Ferguson, and Black Wall Street in 1921 destroyed. Why? Because Black prosperity was viewed as a threat to white supremacy. So no, we're not simply going to move on. And when the Great Depression struck, African Americans were hit the hardest and we received the least amount of support. Why? Because yes, Southern Dixiecrats insisted that in the New Deal, African-Americans would be excluded, while other Americans were helped, excluded from social security, because most of us were domestic workers, or many of us, and agricultural workers, excluded from social security, excluded from unemployment insurance, and excluded from the federally subsidized loans and insured loans that were issued. So between 1934 and 1962, 98% of the federally insured loans that were issued by the federal government were issued to white Americans.
0: Okay. Rather than me responding to that, uh, I'd rather hear from Representative Burgess Owens, who uh, I, I, he, he, you, you can find the clip online. It's like five minutes long of everything he has to say about this idea of reparations. Well worth your time to listen to We can't play the whole five minutes, so here's, uh, here's a little bit of what Burgess Owens had to say in response to this idea.
1: I'm looking forward to, by the way, reparation, when you take people's money that they've earned, it's punishment. It's theft, uh, it's theft. It's judgment. It's saying that because of your skin color, you owe me. That is not the American way. We're not racist people. This American country is based on meritocracy, and I tell you, anybody who's been in sports or, or, or military, you guys get it. At the end of the day, it's the character, it's the resolve, it's the loyalty that makes a difference. The color of skin has nothing to do with how we choose those people that we want to trust and move forward with.
0: Yeah, that's that kind of sums it up. That's what it is. It is um, punishment, vengeance. That's why I say what 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 is greasing the wheels here for this to actually happen is white guilt. White guilt at an all-time high in this country especially on the left but not just on the left this is something that is being drilled into kids heads from a very young age and it gets more and more intense as they get older you get into a co- into college and it is full on cult-like brainwashing but the idea is if you're if you're white you're guilty of these sins from the past you are you are you have unique ancestral guilt as I always say, it's, it's a very religious kind of idea. This is their religion. The idea of inherited guilt. Only in this case, it is it is racially inherited guilt. Like there's guilt that that flows in the in the in the bloodline for white people. And this is a, an idea that that many people find very convincing and compelling because it's been beaten to their heads. And that's why a lot of white people in this country now would would submit to this. Having money taken out of their wallets, food taken out of their children's mouths, to pay for a sin they didn't commit, they had nothing to do with at all. Now, one thing that they that is rarely clarified when we hear this idea of uh, reparations, you, you heard it when I was reading from the L. A. Times article. They talk about um, reparation for the descendants of of, uh, of African slaves. Well, even that is a horrible idea. But is that is that really all you're talking about? So we're going to before we pay reparations to a Black American, first we're going to make sure they actually are a descendant of, of an African slave. Is that is that what we're talking about? Because that's going to exclude many millions of Black Americans who live here now and are not descendants of of, uh, of African slaves, because their family came here more recently than that. But if we're doing that, okay. So if we're if we are um, if we're going if we're going to single out the descendants of African slaves then are we also going to single out the descendants of slave owners? What about the people who, uh, white people, who came, whose families came here well after slavery had already been abolished? Like me, for example, my family. My family wasn't here when that was happening. My family's largely Irish, which means not only did they not own slaves, but when they came here, they faced quite a lot of discrimination, systemic discrimination as well. Do I get some kind of reparation for that? I mean, you you, you could easily make the case that uh, when my ans- when my Irish ancestors came here, they faced discrimination, systemic discrimination against Irish people, which was very common back then. Um, and if and and you know that set them on a certain path, and if it weren't for that, I could be in a totally different spot right now. I could be much richer, much much more well off, you know. Butterfly effect and all that. You can make that case. But then if you're going to do that, then then you could really take anyone and you could trace it back and you could find the misfortune suffered by their ancestors, tragedies that befell them, oppression they suffered. It it would be very hard to find probably anyone on Earth outside of like, I don't know, the royal family. There are not very many people on Earth who um, do not have very real oppression in their bloodline, going back to their ancestors. Oppression, persecution, tragedy, suffering, you know, that, that, that's common for all people everywhere for all time, but especially when you go back through history. But as I said, this all comes down to white guilt. And uh, speaking of which, some celebrities, including some white celebrities, have come out in favor of, of reparations, put together a PSA explaining why we should all pay reparations, and, uh, and here's that. Lame argument against reparations.
1: Talking about slavery is keeping racism alive or perpetuating
0: the victim mentality. No. If we were to stop talking about racism tomorrow, Do you think that that would stop another unarmed Black person from being shot and killed by the police? Do you think not talking about racism would change the fact that Black women are more likely to die
1: during childbirth? We're out of excuses as a country, so please stop making them. We built this country on the backs of Black and brown people, and we still haven't really Done anything
0: to say? Very eloquent from Chelsea Handler, as always. We haven't done anything to say f. Well, you're right. I guess. What, well, I mean, she said she has done a lot to say that. She's if if she has done nothing else in her life, she has certainly said that word quite a bit. That will be that. That is that is the that will be the really the the monument to hers. At least she that she used that word a lot. Uh, if you look, if you're a white well-off celebrity. And you feel this guilt and and, and you think you need to pay reparations. I've got an idea. Um, Pay reparations. No one's stopping you. You can take your money, give it to black families. There are charities that you can donate to. There's all kinds of things you can do. You can see them in that video sitting in their comfortable homes. Because what they're really saying is, no, no, no. It's not that I should have to pay. It's all of you people out there should have to pay. I mean, by, by their logic, they're the most privileged, so they should have to pay the most. And and also, who's who's the, the first celebrity we saw there, the quote-unquote celebrity? It was, was Alyssa Milano. She said, uh, if we stop talking about racism, you think that's going to stop uh, black men from getting shot by the cops? Well, in a way, yeah, I mean, it, it, it may prevent some of that. If we stop obsessing over race and race-related things, and if we stop telling people that cops are um, homicidal, racist, lunatics prowling through the streets looking for black men to murder, if we stop saying that, then yeah, I think we actually would cut down on on the amount of, uh, of uh, police-involved shootings. You know, when you tell someone, you take a, a young black child and you, and you give, and that's the message that you send to them from a young age, that the cops hate you, they want to kill you, they want you dead. They're all they're all clan members and racists and they're they're out there hunting black men. And you tell a young black child that. Yes, you have greatly increased the chance that um, he is going to have hostile interactions with the police. Yes. All right. Uh, one other clip I want to play, somewhat related. Patrice Cullers is the uh, founder of one of the co-founders of BLM. And there's been controversy recently because she calls herself a trained Marxist. And BLM is a Marxist organization. The founders of BLM are very clear about that. It is a Marxist organization. Uh, but, But even though she's a trained Marxist, she has made a lot of money. And then she went out and bought four houses. She's investing in real estate. Of course, they're all in white neighborhoods. And there's been um, there's been blowback because of that on both sides, left and right. And here she is with Mark Lamont Hill trying to defend her decision as a Marxist to buy four homes. Uh, Let's listen to that. There's also a critique, though, from the left that would say um, if you are a trained Marxist, if we're talking about a certain kind of radical politics, that extravagant homes of any sort or multiple properties of any sort is itself contradictory to the ideology that you hold. And so it's not about having money per se, but that it's about, uh, or about property per se, but it's about there being a potential contradiction between your express politics and your lived practice. Sure, and I think that is a critique that is um, wanting. And I say that because um, the, the, the way that I live my life is in direct support to Black people, including my Black family members, uh, first and foremost. And uh, for so many Black folks who are able to invest um, in themselves and their community, they choose to invest in their family, and that's what I've chosen to do. Um, I have a child, I have a brother that has severe mental illness that I take care of. Um, I support my mother, um, and I support many other family members of mine. And so I see um, uh, my money as not my own. I see it as um, my family's money as well. Right, yeah. Uh, you know, she was a Marxist. Translation, I was a Marxist until I had money. That That's it. It's, it's really easy to be a Marxist when you're broke. You know, most of the, the, the Marxists you see on the, the internet advocating for Marxism, just a bunch of broke, they're all broke. A lot of them living at home with their parents. Really easy to do. But then once you have money, it's a whole different ballgame. And the, the thing is what she said there about, hey, you know, I've got my own family. I want to take care of my family. Totally fine. I, I, I completely sympathize with that. I agree with it. I think your first responsibility is to your family. It's nobody else's business. You want to buy four homes, buy four, buy ten homes if you want. Totally no one else's business. It could be that you're being greedy and miserly and everything else. Uh, even that is nobody else's business. Or it could be that you're you're taking care of people. You have a mother you're taking care of. You have a taking care of her brother, she claims. Completely fine. I get it. Yeah. But but see, I'm I'm allowed to have that position because I'm not a Marxist, but you are that is exactly the kind of argument and logic that as a as a marxist you have been arguing against and shouting down for years that that really is the whole argument at least on the on the at least the, the economic part of it that that's the argument for financial freedom economic freedom i should be able to earn money and take care of my own family my my first responsibility as a man, as a human being, is to my own family. And I should be able to take care of them in the way that, that and to the extent that I want. I shouldn't have to explain that to anybody. I shouldn't have to justify it. And there shouldn't be anyone coming in saying, no, you've taken care of your family enough. Now you have to take care of this family over here. Now you have to take care of my family. Yeah, that's that's the argument that we've been making, but Patrice colors. Um, has not agreed with that until now, and only for her. Because I I guess that's the the real argument. The real argument is, uh, yeah, but it's different for me. She should have just said that. I think I'd almost respect that if she said, if that was her whole answer. You know, if Mark Lamont Hill had said, how do you justify this? And, And if she had only said, you know, it's different for me, I would say, okay, at least you're being honest. All right, we got to play this. You know, the, the left really, really hates Ron DeSantis. Um, and when the left really, really hates you, they will do anything to destroy you. Anything. So here's Joy Reid on MSNBC, uh, along with her guest, implicating, uh, uh, impl- implicating Ron DeSantis in a sex trafficking scandal with no evidence whatsoever. She's just tossing it out there. Let's listen the question for gates because obviously greenberg has to give somebody bigger than him that would be gates here is at least uh per the reporting the people who were on that bahamas trip notice if you see somebody's name um that rings a couple of times You had at least five women per politico you had gates um you had a guy named jason pirazzolo the hand surgeon and gop fundraiser two Ron DeSantis, um, who apparently Gates wanted to turn into the attorney general of Florida. There's Halsey Bashirs, a former state legislator and former appointed official in the DeSantis administration. If you're Ron DeSantis, does this feel like it's creeping closer to you? Because these are your friends. These are your allies. Yeah. Just as um, Greenberg's lawyer said about Matt Gates when he left the courthouse the other day, he said, you know what? If I were Matt Gates, I don't think I'd be all that comfortable right about now. You have to believe that DeSantis, I mean, these are his boys. These are his guys, right? We've seen yeah. the pictures. We've heard the stories. You have to believe that Ron DeSantis, if he has done anything wrong, feels like things are creeping closer and closer to him. My God, what? What? They sink lower and lower by the day. You keep thinking you can't be surprised by... by but what scumbags. I, I hope that Ron DeSantis sues them both into bankruptcy and oblivion. I really hope. I really hope that, that Ron DeSantis sues them into bankruptcy. They lose their homes. Then Patrice Cullors can come in and and, uh, and buy their homes out from underneath them. That's what I hope happens. My Lord. They. <laughs> implicating him in the sex trafficking, sex scandal. There is no evidence at all that Ron DeSantis has anything to do with any of this. Oh, but they're not accusing him. They're just asking questions. That's all. I mean, just like I could ask the question of the guy up there. I don't even know his name. The guy that we were just listening to. I could ask the question, is he a pedophile? I'm not saying he is. I'm asking a question. Is he? He hasn't denied that he is. I mean, you heard him speaking there. Did he deny in that statement that he's a pedophile? I don't know. Um, they really hate Ron DeSantis, and they're they're afraid of him. And that and that probably tells you everything you need to know about Ron DeSantis. I think. Tells you why he's probably he's probably the guy should be the guy in twenty twenty four. They really don't want him. They really really don't want him to be the guy. They're not spending a lot of time attacking Trump anymore. It's Ron DeSantis. The Trump is a different story, and that's quite startling in its own way because you know they're not talking about Trump any, at all anymore. Trump has become, and you know, Trump fans out there aren't going to like me saying this, but Trump has become a cultural non-factor. Like he he doesn't even matter anymore. Um, he releases statements and that kind of thing, and makes no waves at all. The reason for that is that the big tech has just wiped him out. Big tech came in. I mean, This is Donald Trump, okay? Former president, the most famous and talked about guy, an influential guy in the world for the last like six years. Big tech came in and said, no, you're done. We're done with you. You don't exist anymore. And it worked. He's a non-factor. There might be something he can do about that, but um, it, it's going to take a lot of effort. You have to be very clever about it to get around that. So far as it stands, they have erased him. And now they're moving on to Ron DeSantis. And the advantage also that Ron DeSantis has is uh, he, he's not on Twitter, I don't think. Um, he's not, he doesn't really rely on big tech. For, for Donald Trump, he, that was his game, was to use big tech like, you know, to use it to elevate himself. And he he rode that all the way to the presidency, which was quite brilliant. But this double-edged sword. Then they pulled the rug out. Now he's gone. Um, That's, Ron DeSantis is doing it a very different way. They're going to have to do, they're going to have to find a different way to get rid of him. All right. um, Okay, we got to, before we move on to reading the comments, like we got to do this article just because it's really important. This is from the New York Post. Um, And uh, I'll just read, this is the news, okay? I'm just reading to you what the news is. And it's important news. It says, they're taking a shortcut. As the weather is turning warm, men are embracing extra short shorts, and Twitter is loving it. Last week, the This Is Us actor Milo Ventimiglia made waves when he flashed his gams while leaving the gym in teeny-weeny pants. His thunder thighs grabbed everyone's attention and left fans wanting more. I'm reading the article, okay? Okay. Uh, here's we have the picture up there on the no oh my god, no. That is not we cannot do this. That is not acceptable. So what they're claiming is that this is the fashion now. Those are hot pants. It looks like he's not wearing pants at all. In fact, is he wearing pants? Is he even wearing? It looks like he's wearing a t-shirt and there's no and he's not wearing anything underneath it. I don't know. What they're claiming is that this is the fashion now um, is men wearing shorts like that, and I will say. I'm not going to allow that. That cannot be the fashion. We're not doing this, guys. We are not doing it. We're going back to cargo shorts. There was nothing wrong with cargo shorts. Fashionable, um, quite handsome, and, and practical as well. And they cover more of your pale, gross legs so the world doesn't have to look at them. What the hell is happening with you know jeans all the, so the fashion now is for jeans we're going back to baggy jinko style jeans while the shorts are getting shorter doesn't make any sense to me meanwhile i'm over here wearing my polka dot shirt everything is confused nothing makes any sense okay let's move now to uh, reading the youtube comments this is from uh, one user says youtube now considers you as offen- now considers you as offensive material good stuff matt fight the power yeah l- most of the comments actually I can't I can't do a full reading the comments segment today because almost all the comments are about the fact that um, YouTube censored our show yesterday, which they did. I don't know if they're maybe they're doing it to this show too. I don't know, but they censored the show yesterday so that uh, they put a parental advisory on, and you had to sign in in order to watch the show, and then you had to click through another advisory warning of offensive content, and you also couldn't share. They t- they took away the share function, so you couldn't share the show. What is their reason for doing it? They didn't give a reason, as far as I know. Um, What I will say is, number one, they censored the show before it even went on, before it even went live. They had censored it already. We can only speculate, and I will say that the topic of the show yesterday, which if you missed because of all the censorship and everything, I would hope that you go back and watch it after this show, because it's an important topic. We talked about the Ashley Babbitt shooting. And the fact that we aren't being told anything about the Ashley Babbitt shooting, and uh, she was killed by an unnamed federal officer in the Capitol, and we haven't been told why, we haven't been told who shot her, we haven't been told his name or anything about him. That's what the the title was about, and that's what the opening monologue was about. And um, YouTube, for whatever reason, doesn't want you to hear that. And yeah, we did. We we played the clip. We played the video of Ashley Babbitt getting shot. Uh, it's upsetting. It's not graphic. You don't see anything that's graphic, but it's it's upsetting. Maybe that's the excuse they would give is, oh, well, you you know, you played uh, upsetting, uh, violent content on, on the show. Yeah, well, a few days before that, we played the, the video of Dante Wright getting shot, and they didn't censor that. Um, Sophia says, Matt, I saw someone riding a skateboard on the main road, not even off to the side, and wearing a mask. I thought of you and wondered what you would say about it. Well, he's got his priorities straight, you know, safety, safety first, he's skateboarding on the main road where he could easily get hit by a car, but at least he's got the mask on, you know, because when you're skateboarding in the middle of the road, the number one thing that might kill you is a virus. So I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't make fun of that at all. He's just, he's got his priorities straight. Um, Finally, Sarah says, hey, Matt, it's awesome. You're so willing to redact any false information you may accidentally put out there. I thought I'd let you know that you slipped up again today. The earth actually is flat. I'll let you decide if you think I'm joking or not. Cancel me if you must. The thing is, Sarah, I think you're joking, but I can never be too sure these days. I have in the past managed to upset the flat earth community, which is how I discovered that there is actually a flat earth community. And that's what I really, and that's when I realized, whatever little it was at that moment, that whatever little faith in humanity I had left was obliterated, and a full cynicism and pessimism, pessimism from that day on. And I realized that no, no idea is too stupid for people these days. So I hope you're joking, but who knows? You know, we have some really great mattress sponsors on the show that I tell you about, and um, and we all know that that good mattresses are important because you spend so much time in them well if you're a parent you might not spend a lot of time in them but you still spend a good amount of time in them and um, and that's why you need to make sure you're you're, you're sleeping well well you think about your mattress what about the chair that you sit on you probably sit on all day at work that matters as well x chair Um, that's what i'm sitting in right now x chair has you covered for all of your office chair needs the secret is not only their patented dynamic variable lumbar support uh, which offers unbelievable lumbar support to your lower back, but now, thanks to their new XHMT technology, you can also get heat and massage therapy while you're sitting at at your desk. Okay, you get all of that in one package. Doesn't look like it's a massage chair; it looks like a you know regular office chair, but um, but it's got all those things in one package. Instead of your old uncomfortable office chair, now you can look forward to spending hours sitting in the ultimate therapeutic massager. Uh, you just you can't go wrong. With, you're you're going to have the best chair in the office or the best chair in your house. You'll be the You'll be the envy of everyone else. X-Chair is is on sale now for $100 off, so go to xchairwalsh.com now. That's the letter X, chairwalsh.com, or call 1-844-4X-Chair. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as 30 bucks a month. So go to xchairwalsh.com now. Use use code XWheels for free X-Wheel blade casters. xchairwalsh.com. You know, yesterday's troubling events with Twitter and Project Veritas should concern everyone. Um, How they got, you know, banished from Twitter basically for exposing CNN. It's become easier and easier for big tech to silence people they view as problematic. And this problem is going to get worse before it gets better, a lot worse. This is one of the principal reasons why the Daily Wire has become, has decided to embrace a membership based business model. We can't become reliant on big tech. We've got to, We've got to be doing our own thing. That's what this is all about. Each new member who joins us makes us a little bit less dependent on big tech. Uh, Building up our membership base is the only way to ensure that Daily Wire can continue to grow and thrive into the future. So if you're already a Daily Wire member, thank you. We appreciate you. Um, And if you're not a Daily Wire member, I hope you'll join us today. In fact, it's so vital that we quickly build up our membership base that we're offering 25% off new memberships when you use code censorship on dailywire.com slash subscribe. So go now, With a sense of urgency, use code censorship and get 25% off. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Today we're going to cancel everybody involved in this monstrosity, uh, literal monstrosity. NPR has the story. It says, for the first time, scientists have created embryos that are a mix of human and monkey cells. The embryos, described Thursday in the journal Cell, were created in part to try to find new ways to produce organs for people who need transplants. Um, according to the international team of scientists who collaborated in the work. Okay, now you might feel concerned about any scientific endeavor that was borrowed from the screenplay for The Planet of the Apes, but no worries. Scientists and bioethicists say that it's all good. This is all above board. It's quite ethical. Uh, The article continues, quote, the scientists who conducted the research and some other bioethicists defend the experiment. Quote, this is one of the major problems in medicine, organ transplantation. That, according to Juan Carlos is. Sua Belmonte, a professor in the gene expression laboratory of the Salk Institute for Biological Sciences in La Jolla, California, and a co-author of the cell study. He said, the demand for that is much higher than supply. Um, Another bioethicist, Inso Yun, says, I don't see this type of research being ethically problematic. It's aimed at lofty humanitarian goals. Uh, Thousands of people die every year in the United States waiting for an organ transplant, Yun noted. So in recent years, some researchers in the U.S. and beyond have have been injecting human stem cells into sheep and pig embryos to see if they might eventually grow human organs in such animals for transplantation. But so far, the approach hasn't worked. So Belmont teamed up with scientists in China and elsewhere to to try something different. The researchers injected 25 cells known as induced pluripotent stem cells from humans, commonly called IPS cells, into embryos from monkeys, which are much cl- more closely genetically related to humans than our sheep and pigs. After one day, the researchers reported they were able to detect human cells growing in 132 of the embryos, and were able to study the embryos for up to 19 days. That enabled the scientists to learn more about how human cells and human cells communicate, uh, hu- how animal cells and human cells communicate, and an important step towards eventually helping researchers find new ways to grow organs for transplantation. Okay. i uh, probably gave you more of that article than I need to. The only good news here is that this must be the thing that will cause the aliens to finally intervene by vaporizing our planet. I mean, this has got to be it. But before we're all rightly killed or enslaved for our collective crimes, it's worth reflecting on this. Can it be ethically justified to create a half monkey, half human Frankenstein monster if the end goal or one of the end goals is to harvest its parts in order to extend our own lives? That's the question. The answer to that question is no. And also, what the hell is wrong with you? I wouldn't call this even an ethical dilemma or an ethical controversy. There's no controversy because this doesn't approach the realm of morally permissible behavior. It is a clear-cut case of science going way, way, way too far. In the words, actually, of Dr. Ian Malcolm of Jurassic Park, um, your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could They didn't stop to think if they should, if they should. And yes, in this case, they shouldn't. The problem is that while I can say that this is wrong, and perhaps you can say that it's wrong, our society in general doesn't really have any ethical leg or monkey's paw to stand on here. What we're dealing with here is is the commodification of human life in its most extreme form, or the most extreme form we've seen so far, more yet to come, I'm sure. Scientists are literally creating life in a Petri dish to use it as a product, as a good, as something to be used. It it, it is life as commodity. But it's only the latest innovation in that space, right? We've been treating human life as a commodity for a long time. We live in a country, after all, where human embryos are created and then stored like leftover ground beef in a freezer. If they aren't wanted, they're just destroyed. Even children conceived naturally in the mother's womb, if they're not wanted, are destroyed, and sometimes harvested for parts, as we discovered with Planned Parenthood. Now, if that's how we view human life as something lacking inherent value and beauty, and which only has value if it's useful to us, then sure, why not make the monkey people and start cutting off pieces of them? I'll take a spleen, actually, just as a backup in case I, don't, you know, in case I need one. See, the precedent's already been set, and and that's the problem. That's what concerns me. One other thought here to share, and this is a cheerful thought for the day, uh, a good note to end on, I think. Something I've said before, but I I think probably I need to keep saying, and it is this. Um, You are doomed. You will die. Right now, as we speak, the cause of your death is probably out there, lurking, waiting for you. It might be in you. It might be in your cells. It might be in your heart or your liver, dormant. The clock is ticking. Or it might be someone down the street, some guy sitting in his office right now, making plans for the future. But in six months, he's going to run through an intersection and T-bone you, and you will die, and so will he. Could be. The point is, you're marked. Your death warrant is signed. You will die, and then everyone you know will die, and soon the world will be free of any trace of you, and you'll be forgotten, and everything you ever did or thought or said or felt will be vapor and ash, at least in this physical world. What's my point? My point is happy Friday. But also, there have to be limits to the lengths we will go to extend our short, finite, fragile little lives. It can't be that literally anything that extends life is acceptable and good. The effort is so fundamentally futile in any case. That doesn't mean that we should be suicidal or that we shouldn't value life. Quite the opposite. We should value it immensely as we have so little of it and for such a short while. But if we throw ethics and dignity out the window just to cling on to our mortal frames for a few more moments, is that trade really worth it? And if we ironically devalue human life in an effort to extend human life, how can that trade be worth it? We have destroyed the worth of the very thing we want to extend for the sake of extending it doesn't make sense so live your life take reasonable precautions go to reasonable lengths to protect yourself treat your maladies extend your existence but we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. we can't throw out our dignity and value in an effort to abolish our mortality because the latter we cannot do in the end we'll have given up what makes life beautiful and good and we'll still die anyway just without the comfort of knowing that we had lived with dignity So look, if you wanted to be cheered up, you came to the wrong place. If you wanted to be reminded that you are canceled one way or another, eventually, then you came to the right place. So with that in mind, I hope you have a great um, and uh, joyful weekend. And we'll leave it there. Have a good day. Godspeed. the show is edited by Sasha Tolmachov. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Hey, everybody. This is Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. You know, some people are depressed because the republic is collapsing, the end of days is approaching, and the moon's turned to blood. But on The Andrew Klavan Show, that's where the fun just gets started. So come on over to The Andrew Klavan Show and laugh your way through the fall of the republic with me, Andrew Klavan.